So what a cool day, eh? Good start. Great start. <laughs> ah, dear. Today it's... um. The, the message could be challenging, just putting it out there. I don't want you to feel like I'm trying to bring you down off a great high. <laughs> it's not really what it's about. But the fact of the matter is that God has got us on a journey, amen? Mm. And... And... Um, I just want to look at some things. I'm sure there's nothing new, but just just ask that the Holy Spirit would speak into your heart because very often it's not what I say, but what he's saying in under that, the, the secondary revelations that are coming into your heart where he's speaking to you about things. So I want to start with a few, a few scriptures. Um, and I could have spent the whole time reading scriptures to illustrate this, but I've picked out three. Deuteronomy ten twelve. Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul? Deuteronomy 36, moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul so that you may live. Live. We're not talking about just live and die in the natural. We're talking about live. Mark 12.30, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. So it's about the biggest teeny word, A-L-L. It's what he's laid on my heart as I've just been crying out to him. Said, I want you all. God's nature is all in every way. He doesn't do things by halves. He doesn't do things um, give us some. Or most. It's always all and super abundantly beyond, is it not? His nature, his character is all. Yeah? Romans 8.32, I love it. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all. Will, how, <clears throat> will he not also with him freely give us all things? So Abraham was tested to release his his son Isaac, the son of promise. And at the last minute, 
God spared him, right? Yet God our Father did not spare his own son. God gives nothing less than himself. Not primarily forgiveness, victory over sin, peace of soul, hope of heaven, but fellowship with him, which includes all these and without which none of these can be. He gives himself. But he needs our all. Let's have a look at Luke 9, 23, 24. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Interesting, isn't it? So his nature is all, but is our nature all? Mine's not. I don't think our nature is ever all. My natural self holds on hard and fast, big time. We've got a problem. But he's the answer to the problem. The only thing that stops us coming into the answer is our own deception that we can give all. We kind of think it's automatic when we come to Christ. But certainly in my life, that wasn't the case. See, our, our fallen nature always wants to negotiate a price, always wants to, to do it according to our terms and not his terms. And I think there's a process in it. There's a process of him showing us the reality of our heart state. Yeah? Because while we think that we can give him all and that it's something that we do, we're kind of coming from this position that I'm I'm kind of good, you know, especially compared to those people. Um, I've got a few things that need fixing up. And I'm living out of that posture. And as born-again Christians, we can live like that. Um, I know, because I've done it. (laughs) Um, Might not understand that I'm doing it or even have a consciousness about it, but I'm living out of this thing that I've got to fix myself. And so the revelation of what is really in my heart, is key to coming into life. I want to share um, a dream that someone that we walk with quite closely um, had 
in the last few weeks. And I was gobsmacked when I heard him speak it and and later he um, emailed it. Um, I just want you to have your hearts open. Please don't feel condemned by this because God never condemns. He always brings in light to expose, to bring into life. Here's the dream. A few weeks ago, in fact, the week following men's camp, I believe God gave me a dream that gave me a profound insight into my present state of commitment in relationship with the Lord. It shocked me a little that I was one of many literally in the same boat. Leading up to this was the background theme of struggling to comprehend the implications of being thoroughly surrendered to Christ. How much of self, personality, character, and straight-out humanness are we allowed to retain? I was still battling with the concept that we could really could attain to the fullness of Christ while still in a human body, driven by hormones, desires, ambitions, and achievements. 100% Jesus in your life can only mean death. Surely a few percent of me would have been able to be retained. Here's the dream. There were thousands of people queued up for miles in a meandering line that snaked through the huge car park area of the infamous warehouse. Waiting patiently, but also excitedly, to get through the double doors of the warehouse, where, of course, everyone always gets a bargain. We were all bargain hunters, anxious with a thought of a cheaper negotiated deal on offer. Ultimately, the fullness of Christ was too much of a price to pay, too hard to attain for normal people. Too severe a price to pay, and one that left no room for individuality to shine forth. A number of things quietly shocked me while I took in the surrounding picture. To my horror, I realized I was one of the huge crowd that queued all the way through the car park. Then the dawning realization that all the rest standing there were Christians also. My colleagues and friends eager for a compromise, a cheaper deal to be made, a bargain to be negotiated. The third shocking realization was that Satan was standing at the door entrance, immaculately dressed in the finest attire with all the suave glamour and glitz of a highly successful businessman. He wasn't there as a bouncer or security guard but as the result of being a highly successful, profiteering businessman. Negotiating deals were to be had, bargains reached, and happy, satisfied customers aplenty. Somehow I wasn't even angry at Satan and his wildly ostentatious appearance. It wasn't his fault he was so successful. It was each one of us in the queue that had put him there and had already accepted a compromise even before we got through the doors. His entrepreneurial boldness was quite impressive, really. Looking at Satan's appearance and amongst his golden bracelets and bling, he held a golden sword, which held my attention for a bit. 
It was purely a symbol of status, wealth, affluence. Never to be used as a proper weapon, purely for show. Decorative and made of expensive, solid gold. A status symbol achieved with no cost associated to gain it. No blood on that sword. How appropriate that he should have such a thing. A symbol of a successful marketing campaign won without pain or cost. Wow. That floored me, eh? (sighs) What a picture. Why would God give him a picture like this? To condemn him? But to show him that to sell out is to lose out. And this exposing and testing of our hearts is part of the process, part of the journey that we've been talking about. It was even a, a prophetic word, remember? So it's, it's like, okay, so what do we do with this exposing? Because everything in the flesh wants to shrink back from that, wants to hide, wants to cover. But the one thing that will never bring life is to hide and shrink back. The only thing that brings life is to to face and to, to face and turn face our Father, not turn our back to him as he reveals these things. It's all through scripture, this journey. You know, if there's one thing I know is that we're all the same. There's no ones that are real highly holy and don't have to go through this. I mean, how ridiculous is that? All, all the mindsets and stuff that we have in our head about comparing with each other, that's just a sign that we're living out of the wrong realm. Yeah? But truth sets us free. I want to be free. I don't want to be living in that cycle of behavior and thinking. Um, let's have a look at Deuteronomy 8. You've got your Bibles here. This whole, um, this whole chapter um, has got so many things on it. I don't have time to look into all of it, but as we read it, just allow the Holy Spirit to, to, to speak to you. So Deuteronomy 8. All the commandments that I'm commanding you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand, listen to this, that man does not live by bread alone. Heard that before. 
He just quoted that to the devil, didn't he? But man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your feet swell these 40 years. Thus, you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you, just as a man disciplines his son. Now, does a man discipline his son because he doesn't care for him? No, because he wants the very, very, very best for him. We must receive discipline in this way or else we'll never, never get anywhere. Therefore, you shall keep the, the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs, flowing forth in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will eat food without scarcity, in which you will not lack anything, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord for the good land which he has given you. Verse 11, beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of flint. In the wilderness he fed you manna which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made this wealth. So it goes on. So <laughs> there is a process of humbling. There is a process of being made to hunger. And there's a process of God feeding us in that hunger. That, that comes in order to teach us something. Did you notice that? He's leading us to something. What is it? That there is only one resource of life. Because otherwise, we will turn and take our life from other things. We will feed off other things, right? I know that's certainly been the case for me. So he needs to actually reveal this. Um, most of you have heard um, <clears throat> the testimony that I gave um, a wee while ago. One of the things that happened during that time was this exposing of the heart. And the, 
the problem that I had was that I didn't actually see that I didn't love God with all my heart. That was my problem. So until he exposed it, I thought that I was doing everything and loving him with all. And the thing is, we think we can get this way by figuring it out in our head, and that's where I was living. I was living very much in my head, in my soul realm. And it wasn't until he took me through some really rough stuff, actually, um, that he exposed how entangled I was in various things. And this happened in a, a broad sense in, in a lot of areas. But one that um, Greg was talking about last week was the whole tying in with your family and kids and identity and all the rest of it. So I... I really wanted to be the best mum. That was my, I felt, my God-given job. And it had, without me knowing it, had become my identity. So I was doing everything I could. I was trying to correct things that I knew weren't that great, like getting frustrated and angry. Um, so I was... I would go through, um, you know, oh, God, why have I done this? And, and please help me to change and, and, and go to someone who would say, you need to do this and this. So I'll go back and do this and this to change. <laughs> um, and I used to, the way I look back, look back, looking back on it, the way I would describe my life is that I lived on a big word that used to live on top of my head called should. I should do this, I should do that, I should do this, I should do that. I've definitely got to do more of this and that. Yeah? I was reading books and, and trying to copy people that I thought had it all together. Um, <laughs> full of anxiety. And, and yet, I thought that that was loving God with all. You see what I'm saying? You see where I'm getting... Coming to. So I, I longed to be an example for him. I longed for non Christians to be able to look at our family and say, there's something different there. But what happened because of this entanglement was that when the kids were growing, going great and they were behaving really well, they were really good. Haven't I done a good job? And when they misbehaved or they had trouble at school or, you know, were struggling with whatever, I was like, oh, I'm such a failure. See how connected it was? The whole thing was really closely connected. And I was up and down and up and down and up and down like a yo-yo because of that. Looking all the time, was it just in my ear? Right. So, I I don't think it was until this time where everything kind of went to custard that I really realised how much of my identity was actually tied up in them. Um, but in this period of time, I lost control. 
Ah, now that is a really, I have found, a really big indicator of where you live out of. If you can bear to lose control. Because I couldn't. It, it, it terrified me. Absolutely terrified me. And I was doing everything I could to maintain control, change behavior, and, and you know, bring it all back together and make it happen. I could not let go. Forget that. So this brokenness God allowed. And, you know, I look back on that, and if he hadn't allowed that or done it some other way, I would be doing exactly the same now. I'd be living in that realm now. He had to do do it. And what I've come into since he exposed my heart and I was broken down, I was humbled, just like in, in Deuteronomy 8, humbled you and caused you to be hungry. Man, was I humbled. And I was hungry. I became hungry like I'd never been hungry. Because I was faced with a situation where I needed to love with a love that I did not have. I was trying to love as a mother. You know, we say that the mother's love is the greatest love. It's a load of baloney. It fell short. It fell short. When I was getting abused, 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 and put down, what I would do is I'd take it inside. <gasps> yes, it's me. Yes, it's me. I had nothing to give. It completely floored me. And it, at that time, I became hungry. And at that time, I cried out and I said, God, I need you to reveal your love. I don't have it. I came to the end of myself, and I'd been living in myself, even without knowing it, all in God's name, totally. But this had raised itself up, and the humbling process happened. And I tell you what, the life that came at that point, unbelievable. Because I accessed his love, which was always there, had always been there for the first time as a flow. Receive, give, receive, give. Not getting tangled up here. And seeing it at work, he even told me specifics of how-tos. Unbelievable. But it wasn't in me getting advice from here and trying, 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 driving more. Just try harder, Sandra. It wasn't that. It, there was this release and surrender, this rest, because I'd ceased from my works at long last. That's how we enter as rest, ceasing from our works. Cool, eh? It's pride, you know. And my lovely brother Paul talked about that. And I love the way he, he talked about this 
journey into the promised land, and then you get to Jericho, right? You remember that? And he was saying God planned it in such a way that he gave the instruction to walk around and around and around. And I loved his suggestion that this time was a time to have a look and see how impenetrable is that wall. I'd been walking here and thinking, I'm sure I can overcome it. I've got to apply the right things. But I came to a point where that was impenetrable. I could not. And it was always the case. I'd just been blind to it. So there is this exposing that happens by the Spirit. It's not us rationalizing it out. It happens by the Spirit as he comes and he illuminates. And he says, this is what you're feeding off. Did you realize that? This is draining everything. And there is a way of life. And this is keeping you out of it. So exposure of our heart is the best thing that could ever happen. If we see that we're in a position where we're bargaining, then we've come to understand something. And I guess always the question is, at that point, what do we do? Do we turn away or do we turn to? It is always, there's only two ways to turn, away from God or to God when he exposes but life is in him. Where else is there life? And coming into him and and coming as we are, completely as we are, which is always how he wanted us to come anyway. It's only us that make up these funny things that we have to kind of get better to be accepted somehow. That is human understanding. I want to quickly go to um, a second scripture which just illuminates this. Um, I'd never seen this. We know the scripture really, really well, but um, I'd never seen the first part of it, and it's at Habakkuk 2 4. Just the one verse. It says, Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. I know the second part really well comes up three times in the New Testament, Romans, Galatians, Hebrews. Um, but it's this first part I want to have a look at. So it's like there's these two ways. The proud man, his soul is not right within him. I want to have a look at that. And then the just or the, the, the righteous live by faith. Now, if I came in my old mindset with that, I'd say, oh, I've got to live by faith, so I have to trust him. <laughs> and again, effort, effort, effort. But you see, the revelation of the first has brought me into the second, not the other way around, not the striving in this. So what is proud? This is the thing that needs to be revealed, because I think we automatically go proud, okay, so that's being arrogant and puffed up and putting others down. So that's proud, you know. But, but God showed me that it was way more insidious than that. 
much more basic and foundational in, in operating systems come out of it. The, the, the basic thing is that pride relies on self. There's only two ways to live, either relying on self or over here relying on God. There's nothing in between. It's self or God. So the proud man, it leans on its own understanding. Remember, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your understanding. There you've got the two things. It loves to feed off everything but God. Human philosophies, latest trends, opinions of men, its own imaginations. Why I was chasing all those things, trying to fix things. It compares itself with others. That's a massive one. Constantly, you know, well, I'm not so bad as that person, but oh, I've got a bit to get there. You know, as long as I've got it kind of a little bit more on the balance here, I can't be doing too badly. What is that? It's pride. It's self. It feeds off the affirmation of others. Big time. It even likes to bask in the reflected glory of others because of its insatiable lust for glory. That's what God showed me. But when the kids deserved praise, I would just kind of bask in it because it reflected off onto me. Didn't I do a good job? But it can be in everything. It can be in our workplace. It can be in our achievements. We feed off it. Remember someone saying there's two, like two dogs inside, you know? And one wants to feed off self and flesh. And one wants to feed off God. And who gets the upper hand is who we feed the most. Interesting, eh? But I think he needs to do this revealing. It's not a self-analysis thing. It won't submit to anyone. That's a big one. It hates losing control. It fights to maintain and gain control in order to feel secure. As for the proud one, his soul is not right within him. Not right. I think that the easiest way to understand that, it's not in the right order. So his soul is roaming, reigning. You're living in the soul right realm, right? Not the soul being, being renewed and under the spirit. The, the, the actual word, sometimes it's um, said upright. It actually means um, to be level or even as opposed to inflated and proud. So that's what that is. So, and the metaphoric use of it is a tranquility of mind. Interesting, isn't it? So the proud man is never tranquil inside. <laughs> that would explain a lot. So when the soul is ruling and we're without this peace, it's never satisfied. It's often anxious, up and down according to how it perceives its others, itself compared to others. It's unstable and double-minded, easily swayed by people's opinions, often feels guilty and condemned, feels good when affirmed, 
and terrible when criticised, therefore can't take correction, finds relationships difficult because of insecurities. Do you think God wants to set us free from that? Each one of us are in this. It's not just a few. We all have a deceitfully and wicked heart. Kind of just got to acknowledge it. I mean, God has never stopped loving us, changed his love, the strength of his love, because he realizes we're like that. It's been like that all the time. Our heart has been like that. Our fallen nature has been like that, right? While we were yet sinners, Christ came. His love is beyond and to take us up and out of that. So there is just a little warning I've got in here. I know for me, when I've kind of felt a bit convicted about being proud, um, I try and um, do something about it. Uh, I've got to listen to people more. Uh, I've got to be careful not to say <laughs> things about, you know what I mean? You go back into this old cycle. Uh, and what it is, at the at the root of it, is to hide our pride. You know, quickly deal with it so that no one will see it. It's the exact opposite to confessing and walking into the light, isn't it? Which it talks about in First John. Walk in the light as he's in the light. Yeah, confess your sins. And he is faithful and just to cleanse you from all your sins. You have fellowship with each other as well. Isn't it awesome? But the flesh and the, and the self will want to hide and want to pull back. Just remember that. You're going to have to do something outside of what's natural. It comes in all shapes and forms, you know, pride. Um, delightful one, it, it, it's rampant in amongst us as Christians. Um, a delightful one that um, John Bunyan said um, that he finished a sermon and someone came up and said, oh, it's a good word. And he said, you're too late. Satan already told me that. It comes in all shapes and forms. But God says, humble yourself under his hand. Yeah. So as he gives conviction and, and the word comes in and it, okay, now I am starting to, to get revealed. You know, it's, it's getting revealed. You come under his hand. That's in First Peter 5, 6, if you want to take notes. So we come in response to his revelation. I'm into the light. So it's a beautiful thing. When he reveals this, what does he do? He breaks the pride, which exposes the source of the pride, that the soul is not right. There's good news. Wait, there's more. He asks us to turn to him and repent because there is a different way of living. He does what we cannot do. He brings truth to shine in his truth, his way. Christ himself as the head over all that's inside of us. Now the soul is not 
in the wrong place. We can be ruled by Christ. and That is our only hope of glory. Now our soul is right because it is completely under Christ. Now our desires and our appetites change because we finally see that we need only God and his living word, this living, ruling presence of the king. We don't need any identity other than him. Why would we? It's meaningless and passing and temporary of this world. We don't need to feed off the successes of anyone or anything because the food that we've now found completely fills us. It sustains us with life. That's what the living manner is. That's who Christ is, the bread of life. He'd eat my flesh and drink my blood. He is meant to be, and we are designed to feed off Christ and Christ alone. What a beautiful thing. He is the fountain of life. So when there is no thirst when we're drinking from the fountain of life, there's thirst when we're drinking off other sources. When God says, Jeremiah 2 is an amazing one. I haven't got the, the specific scriptures, but if you read through that, it talks about, you know, you've left the fountain of life and, and now you're going after emptiness. What is that? You know? We have to realize it's emptiness, I guess, is what I'm saying. We see striving to change things in our strength because we realize that in him, things change as a natural fruit of our oneness. Doesn't he talk about that in John? Abide in me and let my word abide in you and you will bear much fruit, fruit that will last. <sighs> it's such a relief. Stop having to try so hard. He shows us what is to come, not just what's in the now, here and now on this planet, but that empowers our lives now and it causes suffering to be light and momentary because we see this perspective that it is producing an eternal weight of glory far beyond comparison. Our whole mindset, our whole perception comes into eternal. We don't need or want our life. And by that is that the right to rule our own lives, that need to be in control. Because he has revealed the way of actual life. All the things that we wanted but never found. We were just going in emptiness, round and round and round. We found a way of life. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Yeah? That's why the cross of Christ is the power of God. Because he did it. He made a way. And it's no longer me striving to become. Christ's death, our death, Christ's resurrection life. Faith in the one who rules in us. Christ in all the life that that brings. Life becomes about his promise rather than our problem. We're no longer weighed down by trying to fix problems, but live in response to his living word, 
and it keeps faith buoyant and joy constant. Now we love God with all your heart. Interesting, isn't it? The process is understand we can't in ourselves, but that there is a way, and that is surrender. And the, the all comes out of that. The completeness comes out of that. We're restored. we come home. We're restored to oneness. This is what it means for the just or the righteous to live by faith. The just are approved. That's what it means. They rest in the approval of God. Why are they approved? Why are they accepted? Christ. Yeah? So you, you live out of this acceptance, out of this love that you are just, you are righteous. Not because of what you've done, but because of what he has done. And the life and the buoyancy of living comes out of faith in that. Here is scripture. Colossians 2. Eleven and twelve. In him you were also circumcised. Remember that very first one of those first scriptures about he will circumcise us so that our hearts, so that we can love him. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith. What? Your faith in what? You're working? No, in the working of God. Simple. Relying on yourself, relying on God. Powerful, eh? So this is the thing that he's doing with us. He's exposing our hearts. And... Let's not run. Let's come into the light together. And in the process of all that he's showing and, and revealing, let us know that we don't have to bargain. We don't need to negotiate in easier terms of agreement. In fact, that is going to keep us in bondage because love is all. Surrender is all. Not keeping something back. You know, when you swim, think about this the other day, people that struggle with swimming, the very first thing that they do, of course, is you have to be out of float, right? You have to put your head under the water. There's some fear things about that sometimes. But how do you, how do you float? Well, Big thing is you have to take your feet off the floor. And in fact, in swimming, your head needs to be under the water. There is natural buoyancy in our lungs to keep us afloat. But you have to stop trusting and holding on and being fearful because as soon as you do that, your whole body tenses up. And as soon as you put your legs down like that, you sink. 
change shape, but the releasing up and letting go, just float. And for those of you who swim, what a wonderful sensation it is to float on the water, the water holding you up. I just want to end with a, a song that I, I just want us to spend some time just with him, just talking about this. You may want to use this song in your own response to him. It's called Head to the Heart. And it's talking about this, these two realms, living out of your own understanding and this trusting and letting go. Words are, I open up to you this love that makes me new. Oh, may my heart receive this love that carries me. From the head to the heart, you take me on a journey of letting go, getting lost in you. My heart is open wide. I receive your light. You give me faith like a child. In you, my heart runs wild. I love this specially. There's no shame in looking like a fool. When I give you what I can't keep, take a hold of you. More than words, more than good ideas, I found your love in the open fields. If we can just play that.
Those words back up again. There's no shame. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you, Lord. Just don't want to lose the moment. That um, just that thought that there's no shame in looking like a fool. You know, the foolishness of God far exceeds the wisdom of man. So really, in whose eyes are we looking like a fool? Anyone that really matters? Not really. When I give up what I can't keep anyway to lay hold of you. So I just want to um, just allow people the opportunity. I mean, I'd encourage us to all have a have an awesome rest of the day. Take the time to fellowship together and to live in what the message was being spoken about. But for those who may want to just take a step forward and recognize that there's something within their own heart, not before man, but before the one who really matters, a father who's paid the price to enable us to actually be free and to lay aside 
I love, I love the, the verse that you quote, Sandra, about uh, James, I think it is, that says that, you know, it's what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, ask me for forgiveness. He says, confess your sins to me. You'll only ask from someone who you don't know or you're unsure of what the response is going to be. But he's already set the response. So he's saying, confess to me. And I'm just and faithful and I will forgive you of all unrighteousness. So just looking for that heart posture to step forward and say, here I am. I recognize that you're speaking to my heart. Something's sitting here this morning going like that. So if that is you or those that would like someone to pray with you, then we'll be up front here and we're happy and willing to want to pray with you. Or you may just want to come and sit with the Lord either here or where you are. But let's not lose what Spirit is speaking to us right now. So thank you for coming out this morning. I just pray you just be blessed. And Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you not that it's just a word spoken out and that's wonderful. But Lord, that your word is alive and active. Right now, it is sharp. You, you are that living word. You are sharper than any two-edged sword. You right now are working in the hearts of men separating between the soul and the spirit, that the soul would be laid aside, that the spirit is fed and the living word, that we might be able to live and walk in the spirit as the spirit is fed this morning on your word. So thank you for your presence here this morning. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your faithfulness. And Father, thank you for all these dear ones that are here today in your son's precious and mighty name.